0: Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Prasod. I'm a consultant psychiatrist based in central London and I'm delighted to be joined today by Finn Beams. Finn has written the libretto for a new opera entitled The Anatomy of Melancholy. The music is by Benjamin Tassi and it's uh, being uh, shown and produced and um, uh, performed at Testbed One in Battersea from the 22nd to 25th of October and it's part of the Happy Soul Festival uh, which is um, partly uh, taking place in Richmond. So let me start by asking you, Finn, the opera is based on a famous book published in 1621 by Richard Burton entitled The Anatomy of Melancholy. Could you say something about that book and how come that inspired the opera?
1: Yes, I think um, the book is to be uh, respected in, in many ways and one of them is its attempt at a kind of exhaustive approach to compiling and collating everything that Richard Burton could find about Robert Burton, sorry, that's an easy mistake to make, Um, he could find that people have written down and thought about mental health. And he he does so in an extremely creative, often very literary way, and also in a long-winded way. I mean, there are a few editions you can get these days, but it can be up to 1,500 pages long. Um, And so there's a lot in there which is tough to wade through, and of course you're wading through 400 year old words. Um, but it seems to me that there's um, a very valuable approach to making inquiries about the human mind and brain and body, um, which you don't always see in, in modern psychiatry or in modern literature. Um, so it's an entertaining book, but also I think it has some, some lessons still, still worth learning.
0: And could you say something more about those lessons that you think are still worth learning?
1: Well, I think there's something about the, the way he, he ties together pieces of information and the ways in which mood is, is perceived as a phenomenon. It's, I mean, in, in particular, in something that's very explicitly and strongly present in our opera is the idea of the four humours, which of course um, is an idea that has counterparts in many schools of medicine um, throughout time and across the world, but the idea of balance that comes through when you're thinking about the four humours I think is very useful, but also I think um, a a creative approach to thinking about the mind is, is hugely important and while he's exploring Melancholy, his subject matter, he explores it extremely creatively. I mean, the first thing you get in the book is is a poem, and he doesn't take just um, academic or scientific examples or or previous inquiries. He He's also looking at literature. He's got an extremely wide scope about places that you might look where you can um, learn something about the way that you feel things. And I... Uh, I guess I connect with that.
0: It sounds like you're saying that you think that the problem with modern medical practice or modern psychotherapeutic practice, or just the way that we deal with depression generally, lacks a certain creativity.
1: I don't know if I could make that generalisation. I think certainly a lot of people that I've spoken to feel a lack of creativity, um you know, in particular instances in their experience. I think I, I was an event, at an event recently talking which was, you know, about art and psychiatry and art therapy. And, uh, of course, there are widely practiced and is- established uh, methods of treatment which which use creativity in brilliant ways. I think that, that modern psychiatry can can look towards curing conditions rather than maintaining... Conditions and, and the idea of eradicating totally or preventing moods um, or seeing them as wholly negative things. I mean, I've had very interesting conversations recently with um, a violinist, for example, who, who is depressed but finds the idea that that uh, low mood is, is wholly negative or wholly unproductive or wholly um,
0: irrelevant to the human experience. the violinist doesn't think that's a helpful idea.
1: Exactly. So so the idea that including um, melancholy... I mean, this is... So now we're sort of in an area of... uh, It becomes problematic because Burton was talking about melancholy, and we don't really use that phrase anymore to mean what perhaps uh, he would have meant had he been writing today. I think uh, melancholy incorporates... A lot of moods and states of mind, which which we which we may we maybe have a narrower view. I mean, um, clinical depression maybe fits in somewhere to what Burton thinks about melancholy, but I'm not sure that we have melancholy as a as as a way of understanding how we feel.
0: It, it, it's a very it's I mean
1: it's a highly literary mood, isn't it? It's a it's a sort of poetic way of feeling low. I think in our interpretation of it now, but um, 400 years ago, I think it was something slightly more expansive.
0: So, if people come along to this opera, could you say a little bit about what they're going to experience? Uh,
1: sure. So, uh, we have six singers, an actor, eight musicians. We have some live video art. Um, and the situation is extremely simple, actually, and there's, um, there's oh. not a huge... Narrative arc. Um, I'm. I'm not as a director and as a opera and theatre maker. I'm not hugely interested in narrative being the only way of telling a story. Uh, But there is a there is a clear situation which develops somewhat, um, and that centres around a young man who is depressed, his father who is a scientist, and um, his grandmother who is a great reader of books um, and has read a lot of books, but in particular The Anatomy of Melancholy and also The Sorrows of Young Werther, which is a novel by Goethe written in the uh, late 1700s, mid to late 1700s.
0: So it sounds like this opera was partly uh, written out of your own experiences of depression.
1: Yes, I'd say that's to a certain extent true. I mean, I haven't... um, I, I've experienced very lo- low moods, um, sometimes seemingly uh, irrationally and, and without being able to do much about them. I haven't received a diagnosis of depression. Um, I mean, I'd be interested to know, of course, uh, what such diagnosis might come my way. But um, uh, I have I have been interested in the representation of depression in in art, particularly in, in theatre and opera for quite a long time. And actually, I, I had made a few previous operas about rather different things and um, began to notice that, that depression in one way or another was, was a common theme uh, among the characters that I was creating. Um, and also, to an extent, the opera uh, incorporates... Not explicitly, um, not even anecdotally really, but incorporates the input of many other people who have experienced depression and um, anxiety and and several other um, other conditions. And through a series of workshops that I've been running um, at a few places, one in particular called the Dragon Cafe, which happens in Borough in London, which is an absolutely brilliant. Uh, mental health service which happens every monday um uh, yes i've been running a few workshops there and, and trying to really open up conversations around depression and mental health in general but also about how we're making the work and how we can bring um lots of people's opinions into the work and find ways to to make them part of it
0: You've collaborated um, with Professor Jonathan Flint, Head of the Psychiatric Genetics Group at the Wellcome Trust Centre for Human Genetics, tell us a bit about that collaboration.
1: So um, that goes back uh, somewhere between 18 months and two years and um, we were, Bodycore, the, the company that I run that's producing the melancholy, um, was initially, the, the first thing we did was to, to make a very short work, about nine minutes long, which was uh, based much more explicitly on the anatomy of melancholy and actually only used text taken directly from the book. And we performed this in public spaces in London as part of International Brain Awareness Week in 2013. Mm. Um, and Jonathan knew about that. And it, it was sort of after that point that we thought about turning the the idea into a full-length piece of work, and in that process I realised that a a straight adaptation of the anatomy of melancholy would would result in what I thought might be a sort of academic exercise, and in the watching of it it might end up being long and not particularly entertaining. So we began to look at ways to incorporate modern counterparts to the kind of investigation that Burton is doing in that book, and molecular psychiatry is a discipline which we felt to have some connection. and it's a very forward-looking one, as I'm sure you're aware, and there are, you know, it's only really sort of just beginning um, as a way of thinking. So, so then Jonathan got on board and um, we began to incorporate some of the themes of his research into the work.
0: Yeah. Could you give us an example of that, of a theme of, of, of his research and how it, how it got incorporated into the work?
1: Yeah, sure. So I mean, uh, his his research is is quite a literal presence, in fact, in the work. And um, this young man's father, who is a scientist, is is in some way conducting uh, research in the same field. So um, th- that entails researching the genetic basis of depression, um, and and whether using biology uh, at a molecular level could help um, understand further the causes of conditions such as depression but also uh, create potential cures and and the, the reason that's in the, in the work in the opera is is really to create a tension between some very old ways of thinking and some very new ways of thinking so this This young man who's depressed um, is aware that he lives in a world in which books such as The Anatomy of Melancholy have been written and uh, concepts such as uh, uh, the four humours exist, but at the same time people are looking into the future and, and working towards a time when it's possible to control somebody's moods or, or to prevent a particular mood um, you know, using biology. So uh, that's the reason that it's there and it's, and it's sort of to, to imagine what that experience might be, what is the depressed experience when when you feel part of a, uh, a progression part of uh, when you're living in a world which is um, discovering more and changing what it thinks not necessarily rapidly, but um, you know when there are many different ways to understand how your brain might work, the little of it that we know. Um, how, how is that complicated? How is it difficult? How is it beneficial um, to be aware of those things when you're experiencing depression yourself?
0: So this particular performance of this opera is being conducted partly in collaboration with this organization called Happy Soul, which is an independent charity that uses the arts in an innovative way, it says in the press release, to destigmatize mental health and promote well-being. Now, I'm interested in this notion uh, of destigmatizing mental health because the recent research evidence on biological advances in psychiatry suggests that oddly enough or maybe not so odd the more that the general public thinks that major mental illness like schizophrenia let's say or major depression is genetic or biological, oddly enough that seems to add to the stigma of mental illness. In other words they, they tend to think of people suffering from depression or schizophrenia as somehow fundamentally different from themselves because there's this notion now that they're biologically different or genetically different. Whereas the old uh, psychoanalytical perhaps, or psychological way of thinking, which is that we're all prone to a bit of depression, and we all lie on a spectrum, mm-hmm. um, it, it is less stigmatizing, because it, it, you can see a bit of you in the very depressed person, as it were. So, I mean, it's a complicated question, but what are your thoughts about the the fact that there are biological advances, and it, it can be helpful uh, to understand these, these conditions as, as having a biological component, and it is very helpful in terms of research into biological treatments, yet at the same time there's a tension there with the notion that it seems to actually add to the stigma of mental illness.
1: Um, yes, I, I agree that it's complex and, and doesn't come without its problems, but I mean that's the reason why, why I feel strongly that in the piece of work we've made both uh, recent biological advances and... Four hundred year old Renaissance methods for understanding mental health are present, um, and I mean, I'm an artist. I'm not. I'm uh, I'm not interested in telling people what to think, but I am interested in inviting them to consider several ways of thinking, or you know, a particular situation, and um, and to investigate themselves. So, so part of the point of us making this show is to, you know pose questions to the audience similar to the, to the one you've just asked me, I guess. Um, I, I, that's a way of dodging the question. Um, I well, the,
0: I, the question may not have an answer, or, or an easy answer, but I'm interested in the fact that um, it's unusual for people on the more artistic side of understanding depression to embrace, quite as fully as you appear to have done, the biological genetic side. There's usually a political almost tension between the two.
1: Uh, yeah, I can appreciate that. I think it's important that we find ways of communicating with each other, find ways of um, understanding difficult concepts, or of things which, is especially of things which uh, stray into a territory which is unknown and that, that we may therefore be fearful of. And so, if a scientist is singing an explanation of his research with uh, accompaniment, played by eight musicians live in front of you um, and if surrounding him are uh, embodiments of the four humours th- these are the the other four characters in our, in our opera in fact that there are these three people the son, his father and the grandmother and then there are four other singers and they are each of the four humours um, I think if you create that situation then it then it creates a space in which people can challenge the material, um, but they can also gain access in it, uh, to it in a way which might liberate their thinking around it. I mean, I, I, that's not a liberation with a particular uh, conclusion in mind. For me, I don't know what anyone might conclude from, from what we're doing, but I think making an opera about the material will present the material in, an, in a very different way from... This podcast, for example, or uh, from Jonathan's website, or uh, an article that you might read in a publication, um, and I think that's that's the important thing, and I think that is an important part of destigmatisation because it means that at the heart of it really is the creation of a social event, piece of theatre, an opera, social event where you get a few hundred people to come together and. Uh, look at uh, a stimulus which is creative in its form, um, and hopefully you thereby create a conversation which is a conversation that you couldn't create if you just published an article, for example.
0: So it's been fascinating talking to you, and we're reaching um, the end because we're running out of time, but I know this is slightly fraught with danger, but it is possible that you might be able to play a small piece of music uh, written by the same composer, Benjamin Tassi, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Tassi?
1: Yes, Benjamin Tassi. Um,
0: you might be able to play a short clip, and you'll let us know when you reach the end of it, um, that illustrates the kind of music that people might be hearing if they came along to the opera. Is that right? You might be able to do that?
1: Yes, absolutely. So it's um, it's a piece of music by Benjamin Tassi, uh, who's, who's our very brilliant composer. And the reason it's not a recording of the opera itself is because it's a new piece of work and so it's never been performed before actually so we don't have a recording of it to hand but i can give you a little snippet of benjamin's music to give you an idea of of the musical identity of the show
0: great go ahead there we go. Well that was very powerful um, I suppose people have to brace themselves that your your opera is not a, an attempt to jolly people along but to confront uh, the reality and various experiences that arise out of depression
1: Yeah absolutely I think it's um, I mean I don't want to patronise anyone but, uh, we've, we've been well from the beginning of the inception of the project I, I've been clear that I didn't want to make a piece of work which was Explicitly or only for um, people who have experienced depression or people who haven't experienced depression, I, th- I think it should be an opportunity for lots of different kinds of people to come together. And um, I think part of that is confronting the uh, the overwhelming um, low moods, which are part of depression, and th- and they are can be. Uh, extremely ugly, terrifying, lonely things. And so, of of course, we have to incorporate that if we're going to make a piece of work which has got anything to say about the real experience. That said, you know, there are are quite a lot of jokes in the piece. It's also funny. It's also light at times. Um, Yeah, so it's not an attempt... it's, It's not a it's not an attempt at therapy in itself, it's it's not trying to solve problems for anyone, it's not an attempt to offer a solution, but it is an attempt to sort of work through some of the feelings, and um, in the work we've done, again at the Dragon Cafe mostly, uh, in in the writing of the piece, it's become clear that um, not only the creation of artworks, but the interpretation and the uh, the consumption of of a creative experience can can be really helpful. It it may not always cheer you up, but um, even if you are in a low mood and you put on a sad song, for example, it can create a um, a structure, an organised safe space in which you can allow your low mood to exist you can inhabit that space for a short amount of time as a way of accepting that it's part of your current experience of the world um, and thereby you may actually gain some strength to, to carry on so I don't know, I don't know whether our opera will do that for anyone or not but um, hopefully it's a combination of uh, dealing with the challenging stuff but also um, being hopeful about the benefits of doing that.
0: Finn Beams, thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you.